Welcome to the Herpreneur Show. Today we have episode number 96 with artist, designer and the CEO of the Australian Writing Centre, Valerie Koo. Welcome to the Herpreneur Show, where we talk women, business, life. I am your host, Annette Lakovich. I'm an entrepreneur, businesswoman, mum, and I'm a fitness fanatic who loves to dance. What I also love to do is help you reach your fullest potential in business, health, and happiness. Join me as I bring you life-changing interviews, world-class education that helps you continue to up-level your next stage in greatness. It's your time to shine. Let's do it. Hello there. Just on the back end of a flu that I caught from my family. If you recall last time for Q&A Monday, you went for a walk with me and I was in the bush and I was escaping the family because they were all homesick. And it didn't matter how many nose rinses I did and swallowed and rubbed essential oil all over my body and diffused it in the air, I still caught the cold. So it's been a long time since I've had a cold. And uh, this one's really uh, knocked me about, but it's okay. I've pulled through just in the nick of time for today's incredible interview with the true entrepreneur at heart. Today, you're going to hear an incredible story about how Valerie Koo continually has her compass pointing north. And when it doesn't point north, she then goes on a mission to find out what that next calling is. And we hear how she started the Australian Writers' Centre, how it grew, how she turned it into a one-to-many model. And then at the end of the interview, interview, we talk about her getting into design, being an artist, and she nearly walked away from it because she was really unsure how she could make it a one-to-many model. And she shares it. And I tell you what, it was groundbreaking just to hear how this incredible mind works. A little bit more about Valerie Kuhn in a moment. I'd love to give a shout out to Becky O'Gorman who left us an Apple podcast review. Thank you so much, Becky. She's given us five stars telling it how it is, is what she said. I love how Nitty D, love that you called me Nitty D, aka my stage name, always tells how it is. I love her honesty and the ability to ask questions that are in my head. There's no fluff and I love that. Thanks for creating such inspiring content. It helps me feel like I'm not alone as I play hard out in this world and at home with my circus. Thank you so much much Beck. Remember to reach out to me personally so I can send you a big thank you for supporting the show. Your reviews lift me up so high and it just means the world to me. It obviously gets the word out there as well and helps with our ranking. It's a labor of love and I just want to say thank you. It just fills me up with so much joy. So uh, Beck O'Gorman, reach out to me so I can send you a Herpreneur pen to say big thank you. The Herpreneur Show is brought to you by Convert Club. If you are finding that it is getting to the end of the year and you're wondering how the sales are going to come in, do you have consistent revenue coming in? Do you have sales coming in? Are you finding it hard to close people because they're coming up with objections like, I've got a tight budget at the moment because Christmas is coming up? This is the stuff that we help you with at Convert Club. It's mine and my husband's beautiful way to teach you how to do a reverse sale. It's helping you take the ickiness out of selling because let's face it, you're going to business because you want to get your products and services out there, not to be a hardcore salesperson. So we teach you how to convert that sale from that lead, from that inquiry, if it's on social media, if it's via email, if it's a telephone call, however it comes to you, how do you get it across the line? All those type of problems we actually help you with, we tailor it for you. We make sure it's so comfortable for you. It's your words we help you use through our framework. 
So if any of this is resonating with you, please take a moment to reach out and we can jump on the phone and see if it's a match for you. Now onto the lady of the hour, Valerie Koo, who is the CEO and founder of the Australian Writing Centre, and she's also an artist and designer. She has had a multifaceted career, which you're going to hear. She continues to play in the role of leading teams of presenters for the Australian Writing Centre, who have helped over 50,000 students across Australia. And we hear about how she built it, some of the changes, and obviously some of the things that had to happen during COVID. Plus, then we go into part two of Valerie's life, which is her being an artist and how her work has been in solo expeditions and also been curated for some of the largest festivals around the world and been seen by almost 1.5 million people. What I really hope you hear in this interview is how when Valerie feels this calling, she just goes ahead and does it. If you're sitting here and you're getting a calling for something new or trying something or up-leveling, hopefully this will inspire you to take that step. Enjoy today's interview, Valerie Koo. I would love to know, especially with that beautiful background that you have there, where the heck in Australia, do you actually reside right now? Where are you? I'm lucky enough to live in Avalon Beach in Sydney. And um, yeah, it's just a nice spot, you know, near the water. And it's uh, very inspiring to be surrounded by this kind of thing. Yeah, it's gorgeous there. I used to live over in Cronulla and Bright Sands. And even though we had the water there, we would still love to go for a day trip you know, to the yes. other side. And it's just such a beautiful area. You lived there for a while? Did no, I only lived here for five years. In fact, I uh, grew up in the Shire, so oh. near Cronulla. <laughs> this is why I think that I recognise your name. I think we bumped into each other years ago at a networking event. I really do. Quite like I'm good with <laughs> names. I'm like, oh, I feel like I met her and I feel like I met you in the Sutherland Shire. That's where I actually first thought. <laughs> so isn't that crazy? It wouldn't be surprising. Yeah. So tell me, let's go down this big rabbit hole. I want to find out about you, who Valerie Koo was, the evolution of you. What came first? Was it the writing? Was it the artistry? What was the evolution of you as a little girl going into business? Yeah. So as a little girl, I always loved the idea of business. I didn't know that I actually loved the idea of small business because I didn't really know the difference at the time. Mm -hmm. But really weirdly, I used to, my my mother used to buy the Daily Mirror for anyone who remembers the Daily Mirror to read on the train on the way home. She'd put it on the kitchen table. I would turn to page 13, which was uh, puzzles and stuff for kids. And then I think the next page or a couple of pages later were what were the small business pages. I didn't know they were the small business pages. Um, But I used to be fascinated by these stories of these people who would just seem to be doing really interesting things. Or more importantly, I think I was captured by the idea that they had an idea and then they made it happen. Yeah. Yeah. But as a kid, I just thought business was business. And I thought, and I grew up thinking, I just want to have a briefcase and work in the city. (laughs) 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 I didn't really know really what that meant. But anyway, that's what I ended up doing. So in fact, I studied economics and accounting and I became an accountant for PwC. So I had a very, very different start to my career. It was all based in finance and numbers. 
having, which is kind of weird because throughout school I loved English, I loved writing, I loved reading, mm. I loved, you know, all of those things. But it never occurred to me that I would go into that field because I wanted to have a briefcase and work in the city. Yeah. Wow. So I started life in the corporate world at PwC. You know, I worked in their Sydney office, their London office, and and it was a great experience, but it didn't uh, – ultimately I knew that I wanted to do something else. So yeah, I eventually moved on. How long were you there doing that for? How long were you there? Uh, in, in PwC, in, in the industry itself, um, just a couple of years because I moved from, or a few years, because I moved from PwC to become uh, an associate lecturer in accounting at the University of Sydney. <laughs> so, and I did that for a while, you know, while kind of figuring myself out and, mm -hmm. and going on to retrain in communications. Yeah, right. So then what came next? Was it the Australian Writing Centre? Was that the next step? No, so the next thing was that um, I didn't believe that you could be a creative and earn money. Yeah. Because I was told so many stories about, you know, being an artist starving in a garret. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to be poor. <laughs> so well, no I one thought, does, okay. right? <laughs> And yeah. do you think that that programming came from your parents? Like do you think that it was about get a profession, be an accountant or be a doctor? Like do you think that actually started from there to that yes, program? Yes, Yeah. It's not that they said not to pursue anything creative. It's just that it was never even discussed. Mm. So they never dissuaded me from it. Yeah. It just wasn't even than in their frame of reference. They didn't know people who were writers or artists or designers or any of those things. So they weren't in our social circle. Everyone we knew was, you know, an accountant or an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. So that was just the path I went down until I realised, yeah, I wanted to do something different, but I still didn't have the guts to throw myself fully into life as a creative. So I thought, oh, there's this middle ground where I can go into PR because PR is still corporate, but, you know, there's a lot more writing involved and that sort of thing. So I went into PR, public relations, for quite um, some years and worked in that. And it satisfied my creative yearnings for, a, you know, a little bit. Yes, yeah. But it still had my foot in the corporate world. Yeah. Until I literally woke up one day, one September, and thought I've got to give it uh, a red hot go because I had been sort of doing freelance writing stuff on the side mm -hmm. and starting to have, you know, um, some success. I mean, very minor success because it was a side hustle, mm -hmm. but I realized how much I loved it. And I realized that, okay, I've got to, it's now or never. Well, it's not really now or never, but uh, I, at the time I yeah. thought I've got to give it a go. Yeah. Sounds like you're a person that really feels a pull and just makes that decision just to go to the next step. That's really, mm. really interesting that you you really feel that gravitating pull and 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 yeah. to do it, not to sit there in in the misery because that's what it probably would have ended up being, you know, as the accountant or then as PR. It's like the person that's continually charging forward, which you know is such an entrepreneurial trait that in itself, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's really important to give in to your creative curiosity. So if there's something that is like an itch that you're wanting to scratch or you're vaguely interested in something, mm -hmm. I think it's worthwhile to just start exploring it. Yeah. And you may go down a rabbit hole or you may discover the, your passion in life. <laughs> yeah. And so for you then, 
you went then into writing. How did the Australian Writing Centre come about? So I first went, decided to get a job in writing, so to experience the industry, you know, within the industry. And I ended up, <laughs> and I ended up, uh, you know, working for some of the major magazines. I was deputy editor at Clio for a few years, and I worked for some of the glossy magazines. And then, after doing Clio for was it three years or four years? I can't remember. I didn't remember. see that on your bio. <laughs> yeah. Like- that's not on your bio, is it? I didn't see that on your oh, bio. No, it's that's like, like a lifetime ago. That is just yes, I had this well. Gosh, <laughs> I had four years of fifty most eligible bachelors, and you know, um, it, it was a great experience because I got to meet so many people and interview so many people, and you know, it was a really interesting lifestyle. Yeah. But after doing it for four years, I realised that I wanted to write about or you know explore more than fashion celebrities relationships what lipstick <laughs> you know I wanted to write about other things yeah mm, wow so, uh, that's when I went freelance mm-hmm. because it gave me the opportunity to write about a regular person with an interesting story one day mm-hmm. a CEO the next you know a rock star the next it gave me where well, you couldn't do all of those things at the same job at Clio because you wrote about a very specific niche mm-hmm. so it was great to be able to have that flexibility in freelance. And, uh, yeah, and, and it, after that, sometime after that, I started the Australian Writers' Centre. So what is the Australian Writing Centre, where everybody knows? So the Australian Writers' Centre is um, the country's leading centre for writing courses. We have, um, well, until COVID, <laughs> we have held classes um, in Perth, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, you know, every uh, online. Mm-hmm. Um, since COVID, we've moved a lot of the stuff online. We still have um, heaps of students from all over the country. And uh, it's for people who want to get published or write with confidence. Mm-hmm. It's for people who want to write for pleasure, but also people who want to write in their writing professionally mm-hmm. so basically it's writing courses and training and mentoring amazing what was the evolution of that because that was what 15 years ago now when you mm-hmm. there's been a lot of change from marketplace to um, a lot of self-publishing books out there these days there's training to online to offline Talk us through that evolution that you've changed, like how you actually started the business with the delivery, um, what's actually happening now because, as you said, with COVID, Mm. guessing you could weather that storm because at least you had some stuff happening online where if you were just purely a bricks and mortar facility, that would have been a big change. So can you take us through a bit of the evolution of how it's grown, what's changed and how you started Sure. So when it started 15 years ago, it literally was people in the same room, you know, in a classroom environment, and we were teaching them face-to-face, and it was only in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, that grew, which is great, but I realised that there were people who were driving five hours to come to the class. Oh, my God. You know? and. I'm like, you're from Port Macquarie or wherever, right, or driving up from Canberra. And I realised that's probably not the easiest, you know, thing for them. And there must be other people like them. So then we went online and we started um, 
offering delivering the courses online and realizing that there were people you know from all over the country and and also um in rural areas in particular who just were never going to be able to access the course and the online classes grew and grew and grew and at the same time we also know that some people like the face-to-face component and so that's why we have um training rooms in Brisbane and Melbourne and Perth. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, when, when – and so we had a really good mix of live and online, you know, real life and, and online, just depending on your learning style and yes. stuff like that. Yeah. But then when, when COVID happened, there was no choice. Yeah. And you, we had to change everything. But by um, by luck, maybe about a month or – no, not a month, but a couple of months before COVID – um, we decided to make sure that everything we could all work remotely because we were increasingly getting finding talented people who weren't in Sydney that we wanted to be part of our team. Wow. And so every, we went we had this big exercise, big project to make sure everything was remote because we were all in an office in Sydney. Mm. So everything went to the cloud. We got a phone system which could just be, you could be anywhere in the world. All that kind of stuff. That time, so that impeccable. The timing was perfect. Mm. So when COVID happened, all of those things were already in place, which was great. And it was just a seamless transition, even though there was no more, no more any office. Well, I mean, there's still an office, but no one's in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Did you always dream for the Australian Writing Centre to actually be that? You started in Sydney, but did you ever have a dream or vision that you did want to be in just about every capital state in Australia? So to be honest, way back then, no. And that's evidenced by the fact that I called it the Sydney Writer Centre initially. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't think that big initially. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, it took one of my students who who I he was my student but he became my business he was my student in writing mm-hmm. but he became my mentor in business yeah wow because he started doing a couple of courses and basically decided saying do you realize that you can do x y and z and so we worked together for a couple of years and that's where my thinking really expanded we changed the name to the Australian Writer Center and it became a, you know a national organization so yeah initially I didn't because I hadn't thought that big at the time. Mm. Has there been a time in that journey, and I do want to go into the creative side of your artistry as well, like writing's obviously artistry, but you know what I mean with the design work you do. Sure. Um, but just in those 15 years, you would have learned a lot, you would have gone through, you know, some pretty tough times. When was a time that comes to mind that stretched you or gave you a really big lesson that you probably weren't happy at the time that it happened, but now when you look back, you're thankful. You're like, okay, well, I definitely had that lesson that now teaches me something different about what I do or who I am. Yeah. So it was probably exactly 15 years ago. Oh. Um, so it was just before the business, but it almost birthed the business in a sense. So at the time I was working dollars for hours. I was freelancing, I was consulting, I was doing writing and it was all going fine 
perfectly well, but it was dollars for hours. So I had a limit because there were only so many hours in the day to what I could earn. Fortunately, I used lots of those hours really productively and I was earning a decent income. But what happened was I happened to, unrelated to that, be really heavily involved in a charity at the time, in a social charity that I was really, a social enterprise that I was really passionate about. Mm. And I um, was practically doing it 24-7. And uh, and be, due to a number of it, it, it was tackling major global issues, and due to that, um, I just got drawn into it in such a big way that I literally had no time for my paid work. And I don't resent that charity at all; it was completely my decision. Um, but because I neglected my professional work and I spent all of this time in the charity work, mm-hmm. uh, because if you don't spend hours doing it, you are in, in your professional work, you don't invoice. Mm. <laughs> and after a while, your cash flow starts to peter out. And I had neglected <laughs> you don't have it any so money. much. <laughs> exactly. No money. I had neglected it so and, much that Can I, I just say, Valerie, can I just interrupt? Everything that you were doing yeah. for that enterprise was about probably helping them get money. <laughs> <laughs> so I know. Like, irony. Yeah, right. Yeah. The irony. Exactly. We were fundraising. And it, yeah, the irony. I was trying to make them a sustainable enterprise while not making, while I was not a sustainable enterprise myself. So it got to the stage where I just had no money. <laughs> and I remember, um, because uh, even my friend flew up from Melbourne to work on the charity, a big charity event with for this charity that we were doing, and she went to my fridge and there was nothing in it. Like I didn't even, I couldn't, she was staying with me and I couldn't even feed her. She had to go to the petrol station around the corner to buy like a muesli bar or something. Anyway, um, I had no money and I was, I, I had even gotten, I don't know even how this became normal to me, but um. I kind of thought, okay, well, if I get like a can of Legina tomatoes, it might be, I don't know what, at the time, 86 cents, and I could cut up an onion and that would be my meal and that would only cost me like 95 cents. Mm -hmm. It was ridiculous, right? Yeah. And then I sat there and I thought, look at yourself. This is ridiculous. You're no good to yourself. No good to obviously your poor friends who you invite over. No good to the charity ultimately if you you know keep on going this way. And you got no exactly. <laughs> so so this is this is not how you should be living. Mm. And I realised at that point that I needed a scalable business, mm. and it, I could not, I should not be working dollars for hours because you know. When it, once I organised that, I could spend 24 hours a day with the charity if I wanted to, right? Mm. So it was a real turning point for me and I started thinking what I could do that would be scalable. And as part of that thinking, um, that was one of the drivers of the the birth of the Australian Writers' Centre. Wow. So it's obviously a scalable business now. You have it... Australia-wide, you have it online, you have people teaching it, you have the module set. When did the calling happen to get into design and art? <laughs> 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 
because yeah. scale, once you have got that business and it's scaled, it does allow that space for you to be able to mm. get that next calling or purpose. So what happened for you? So what happened was I loved working and I loved building the business and I loved, you know, doing, I spent so much time, you know, on the business. And I started to get a message when every second one of my friends was saying to me, and even not my friends, just other people who would meet me, who would say, maybe you should get a hobby. Um, and I thought, oh, so many people are saying this to me. I should perhaps um, pay some attention to it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know what hobby to get, mm-hmm. right, because there wasn't any – I had. I spent so much time working, I didn't really yeah. have a particular thing that yeah. I was really into. You know? This is not – this is actually something that is very common. And yes. I realised back when I used to live in Sydney, I used to have female boardroom sessions and as you know, pre-chat, I'm saying a very, um, I'm, I'm pro-exercise, like I want women to move their bodies and, and, and stay fit. And part of this mastermind, we had our quarterly boardroom sessions, I'd have them be accountable of, you know, what exercise have they introduced and, you know. Right. And I had so many women that didn't actually know what form of exercise they liked if it was walking or one of them actually went back to the, her thought process was when she was in school with hockey and she ended up signing up for hockey and one was horse riding and they actually had to go back to what they did when they were a kid Yes, and pull that out. And for me I was like I was blown away. I was like, wow, like, oh, yeah. So it's actually quite common. It is common. It is common. And that is such a good piece of advice, actually. Think about what you loved to do when you were 12, mm-hmm. I think is a really good piece of advice. Um, but uh, I didn't really kind of know what to do about this mm-hmm. <laughs> because you don't just sort of start a random hobby and go with it as if there's no real calling mm-hmm. there, right? So the way I figured it out was just to try a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. So don't commit to a course, don't commit to just commit to two hours. It might be a little workshop. It might be doing sip and paint with a friend. Mm-hmm. It might be doing whatever, right? Just in very short, and, and I made myself do a bunch of different things on Saturdays or whenever. Mm-hmm. And some things I just so was not into, mm-hmm. and that's fine. It was just a fun time. And, but then you start doing things. You, oh, I, that was interesting. You start following the rabbit hole really mm-hmm. until you find the thing you went, oh, and, and then you have that feeling. You just go, oh my God, this is it. I know that this is what I want to do. And it's, it's giving yourself permission to explore that creative curiosity again, mm-hmm. you know, the thing that piques your interest. Just, you don't have to do a degree in it, just to go and explore and see what happens. Yeah. And that t- would have taken discipline for you. Because it's so easy for us because if we work hard and then, you know, if it's the weekend or the night, we just want to <laughs> relax. Yeah. So that would have taken discipline for you to even just say, like, on Saturdays I'm just going to try different things. So then yes. what were the steps then? You tried, you got into, what did you get into? Share with us what did you get into and how now oh my art designer with <laughs> artwork not just here but in exhibitions all around the world. <laughs> so I uh, happened to go to this thing called the Pitwater Artists Trail where you just go to different artist studios and check them out and that was all fun and nice and I took, you know, um, some friends. And then I happened to one of the 
places was this artist who he ran workshops. So I started doing workshops with him, but he would do a different thing every single week. So that was great because a completely different medium and all that. And that is how I discovered the things that I was interested in. And as I started discovering that I really enjoyed painting and I just did more painting at home, I converted the whole downstairs into a studio, you know, I got all the equipment and all that kind of stuff and just loving it, doing it till the wee hours of the morning, I realized, oh, I kind of really must love this if I'm doing this till the wee hours of the morning, right? Mm. And um, then I kind of thought, well, what what's what's the next step? Do I just keep on doing it? Because people started um, contacting me and saying, "Oh, can we buy it and stuff like that." But then it, I came back after a while. I came back to that thing of scalable scalability. Ah, yeah, because mm-hmm. it after you put your heart and soul into uh, uh, an artwork, and then you send it off, and you never see it again, <laughs> and. Um, and somebody else gets to appreciate it, which is really great. Um, but also even the physical act of packing a large piece of artwork takes forever. <laughs> um, so I thought, okay, scalability, what do I need to do? And I started studying all of these artists, right? I started studying um, uh, successful artists and what they did. And, and I realized that there is this pathway where you can go down this um, – uh, a, a traditional pathway as, as an artist and enter art competitions and you know try and get become a finalist or 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 win them or whatever and I I tried that path and I was fortunate enough to become finalist in a number of art competitions and stuff but then I I just didn't feel I thought it was nice but I didn't yeah. feel particularly creatively satisfied by that and. I kind of looked at the artists who were scaling and I realised that had to be done through licensing. Mm-hmm. And um, I just loved the idea of artwork being on products or being on wallpaper or being on upholstery or being on, um, you know, sheets. I'm the sort of person, because, you know, I travel until COVID, travel a lot for business, I love hotel, nice hotels. Yes. And I, I think I'm we all con- do. Yeah, I think we all do. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> camps here in Perth, I find out. I found out. Everyone camps. So I'm going camping for Easter. I haven't camped since I was a kid. And I'm like, I've got I've got a week in me. I'll camp for a week, but then I want a nice hotel again. <laughs> exactly. Right at the end of the week. I understand. So I love hotel and I love when I'm sitting there having dinner when I'm interstate and I look at the artwork and I look at the the upholstery and I look at the cushions and I thought, someone did that. Who did that? Mm. You know? And I realized that Okay, because with scalability, it's not only, you know, a, a number of individuals buying, say, for example, I've got these um, uh, journals mm. and a bunch of individuals might um, buy them, which is great, but if you're doing a hotel, that's 20 floors. Yes. So that's scalability on another level, right? That is incredible. That's such a smart way to go. Because and this is this is it. And when you're listening, audience, ladies, it, if you listen to what Valerie's saying, it's like it, it, the vibration, like your 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 the compass wasn't pointing to that true north yet. 
And you could have just gone, okay, well, I'm just going to keep this as a hobby, but you, you, you still felt like there's something there. There's something there in a business model. And it's what my beliefs are, which is the dollar for hours or versus scalability. Mm. And because you didn't take no for an answer, because that compass wasn't pointing to the true north, it allowed you to keep searching for that. And then to find that is incredible. I actually worked with an artist um, where she did designs for like all yoga clothes. She does, you know, all the, she started off with screen printing, then she did cushions and then she really was into her yoga. And now, you know, she sells over to the UK. She's big in the UK. And yeah, and I've never actually looked at it, connected the dots with what you've said, which is, the scalability of your artistry because you put so much heart and soul in it, but then it's it's one one and done. Mm. Like it's that's it. Yes, I just that. <laughs> that's right. that's really cool. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's because uh, there's a, there was a lot of time eating meals on my own in hotel interstate hotels, looking at things, you know, and realizing that you know that that uh, aiming for that as a made a lot of sense. So that meant dealing with the people who supply mm. commercial premises and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's um, it's something that uh, it certainly was not part of the Grandmaster Plan when I started. I didn't even, it, did, it didn't even occur to me. Mm. But it is about connecting the dots as yeah. you go along. Yeah, that's incredible. So you've travelled around a lot. Um, you've probably seen growth in two different areas, writing and artistry. So let's start because we're, we're on the artistry path. What trends are you seeing now with the world of, in, in art around the world? I think that art's being really disrupted by the fact that previously the traditional path was that you had to have a gallery and the gallery had a certain number of collectors and so on, but it's so much easier for artists to go direct these days just because of technology, just because of, you know, social media, just because of all of those things. So accessibility, yeah, and you can reach artists, you know, like people have bought my art from Singapore and from the US and stuff like that, which I never would have... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's really fun. (laughs) But I never would have been able to reach them 15 years ago, say. So number one, the art market's been disrupted um, considerably just because of access. And I truly believe that the artists who want to cling on to the old model Mm -hmm. are ultimately they've got some years left depending on how old they yeah. are yeah. um but they're going to be left behind if they if they think that's the only way if that's the right way or the proper way or whatever yeah yeah is there something that you've seen at the moment with a trend with writing and business like how it's changed over the years or something that you feel like because that's really mm-hmm. now with the art artist world because if you don't change with the times do you know you do yeah and what are some of the trends that you're seeing now in the world of writing and business? Oh, wow. Um, interestingly, I think that because there is so much stuff with online interaction, like social media, help desks, mm-hmm. chat, bo- chat boxes, you know, the, um, the need for good written communication is higher, but the standard of written communication has lowered, mm-hmm. in fact just due to education and, you know, training and that sort of thing. So it's it's the companies who realise that they need to invest in, for the, for the people who are operating those things, mm. um, who, who are doing the chat boxes and stuff mm-hmm. like that, you know, um, it's the companies who are going to invest 
in that training and up leveling their the written skills that are going to obviously convert more customers or mm. have more customer satisfaction and that sort of thing. Yeah. It's quite interesting because writing was never a strong point of mine. And it, as you're saying, we're doing more and more online. So you can imagine we're trying to get all this content out as being business owners, as being entrepreneurs, as in the concept of, you know, trying to be more media focused now because everything is online. And I remember this was, um, oh gosh, I can't even remember if it was from my original business presence for her or if it was when I started to write for female entrepreneurs. But I remember somebody emailed me and said, Annette, I love reading your stuff because you've got a great message, but you have to work on your grammar and your your um, punctuations. And I wrote back, I said, they said, I hope you don't mind. I, I emailed back, I said, do you know what? Thank you so much. Everything that you've said, I already knew and I'm not embarrassed about it because I know the level is, but I appreciate you saying that because you do realise that people actually do read it. And um, yes. I like what you're saying now, which is the level of content, you know, we're pumping stuff up at all, all the time. When we do an Instagram yes. post or Facebook, we have to do content. But yeah. what I'm saying as well is because there's so much, we're seeing so much of the level drop, which is so important for us to be able to do something what you guys provide, which is, you know, the Australian Writers' Centre where we can do these different courses to improve it. So I actually love that Um the the what's the word the insight that you have on that mm. because it's never been mentioned on the show before obviously we haven't had anyone <laughs> or in in writing and execution with copy but um that's mm. a defining moment for me with what you've just said Mm-mm. And it's not just my observation. There are now, there's now research and studies of people of graduates from university who are not reaching basic basic levels, basic standards that are required for literacy. Yeah, wow. Mm. So I would love to find out a couple of things. You, you, you're a seasoned businesswoman. We have female entrepreneurs who are not seasoned yet. They're in the startup phase, <laughs> trenches. I'd love to give get you to give a piece of advice for them. And then oh, yeah. female that is similar to you. They're in business for a while. They, you know, they might feel a new calling, or they're just they're just ready to up their game somehow. What would be two yeah. advice? One for each of them that you think. I think for startups, something that I wish somebody had told me, or maybe they did and I didn't listen, <laughs> um, <laughs> is find a mentor or mentors. It doesn't. It, you don't have to have just one mentor. It. I was so late in life before I got a mentor so late and only because you literally walked into my classroom and became a student and then became a mentor. (laughs) I I didn't even think to get one. I mean, maybe I did intellectually, but I don't know. I just never understood how it could really fast track you. And if I had my time again, I would absolutely do it so much earlier. I would do it 15 years earlier than, than I did. Um, so, yeah, if you're in the startup phase, find a mentor. But remember, just if you have an experience with a mentor, not all mentors are created equal and not all mentors are the right yeah. fit for you. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. Just get a new one. Yeah. You, know? you don't have to commit to them for life. It's okay. Mm-hmm. And also find a mentor in different things. So 
you know, if it, you might have one in sales, you might have one in operations, or you might just have an overall one. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but, but take I the advice. Believe that come the same, which is that the specificity really makes oh. it so. Because you can do. Someone might say, "I've got a business coach," but the business coach won't teach sales the way that I would teach sales. Yeah. And I don't see myself as a business coach because. As much as I might look at the numbers, I'm going to look at the numbers on the sales side of things. What are their conversion yeah. rates? Do you know what I mean? I would never call myself a business coach because that's not what I do. So I like mm. that that target where you're saying get sales, do operations. Like if it's public speaking, whatever it is, it's finding that. Yeah, I think that. Mm. Uh, what about the seasoned woman? She's seasoned. She's ready to up level, maybe change directions. She's, she's <laughs> been around for a while. She's ready just to to expand in some way when you are seasoned you can get into a stage where you're in a rush or you've lost the fire you've lost the thing that you know got you going and got really excited about the business so I think that when you are um, a seasoned business owner I, I think it's important to ensure that you have the right peers and peers who are who have the right energy and who are excited about their business and can help you be excited about your business or help you discover what it is that you know is the fire kind of thing yeah. so maybe that's mastermind groups that which don't have to be official ones like yes. they don't have to be paid programs they could just be you know your, your friends yeah. who are in the same boat but i think that that kind of energy being able to talk to other people who are at the same level so not somebody who's just starting out, but people who are also seasoned is really important. Yeah. You don't want to always be the smartest person in the room. <laughs> I, actually, I held my own masterminds with my clients, but then I wanted to create my own as well. And so I looked at these women that I actually did a tour with years ago. We didn't know each other until this tour. And, mm. um, but and they're all completely different businesses, but I knew they were at the same level as me, or even better. And it yeah, yeah, met up once or used to be once a week. Um, as, sorry, once a week on Skype, and then yep. every quarter we meet up face to face. And it was just so nice to build that relationship, but to yeah. each other, learn from different industries, and not to be that smartest person there. Like they all had these different skill sets. I think that yes. really, really, um, a, you know, a strong fundamental in, especially with business when you are a solopreneur or you are like yourself a CEO, sometimes, you know, who are you going to turn to, right? Yeah. Mm. That support system there and someone that has that skill set. Um, oh, it's been incredible, Valerie. I would, I would just love for everyone to find out more. What's the best way for them to learn more about you? Where do you want to send them to? Um, to me personally, I think just go to Valerie Koo, <clears throat> sorry, ValerieKoo.com, that's K-H-O-O. Um, if you want to find out more about the Writer Centre, go to writercenter.com.au. But, yeah, there's they're two key sites. Fantastic. We'll have the links there, guys. So if you scroll below, click the link. If for whatever reason the link, you can't see it, depending on where you're listening to the podcast show, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, you'll be fine. Um, otherwise, just go to AnnetteLackage.com and have a look for Valerie's interview and then all the links will be there as well. Valerie, I want to finish the show with this one question. Are you ready? Here we go. Yes, go. 
Yeah. What is the one <laughs> you do on a very regular basis that makes you the happiest version of yourself? Some <laughs> physical activity, something that gets you away from your computer, that gets you back into your body. What would it be? Okay. Well, pre-COVID, because oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too paranoid to go into gyms and sweaty places now, pre-COVID, oh, my God, kickboxing. Oh, wow. <laughs> kickboxing, MMA, all that kind of stuff. Fantastic. Since COVID, have not, because you need a partner. Mm-hmm. You you can't do it by yourself. I mean, you can, I suppose, with a bag, but um, you, you kind of need a training partner. So um, uh, since COVID, go running, go, you know, on bush trails. But the thing that really makes my day yeah. is kicking stuff. <laughs> wow. We have not had that. Goodness. I <laughs> teach a class called Combat. Oh, cool. And how I got into it was the instructor, I used to run a ladies' health club. That was in Miranda. And um, right. and the instructor, boxing instructor didn't turn up. And so I was running the club and I was like, okay, well, I teach aerobics, so I'll go in there and I'll work out how to teach, how to teach a boxing class. So I pulled one of the participants over that's normally always there and I said, can you just teach me the punches? Because obviously being an instructor, you can pick up choreography yes, yes. quickly. <clears throat> And so she was like, this is a jab, this is a hook, this is, you know, I was like, okay, cool. So then that class then changed it for me where I was like, oh, I love this body mentality. So then I went into um, body combat, which was the, oh, yes. And being with women, we can have really strong, powerful legs. And just that, like you're saying, like my arms would be so much more less tied quicker than the power that you have in your legs and the kick and the force. So I get that. And I even thought that I used to teach combat. So, uh, yeah. Well, (laughs) you know what? That's body combat. When you say you went into body combat, which is the Les Mills body combat, is it? Yeah, okay. So that's where I became obsessed with that and then I became, I went to the next level of actually kicking actual things. Contact. But, But a great example of that on how that impacted my business is that I became so obsessed with body combat and people were obsessed with it. Mm. They were so regular to the class and I thought I want to create that loyalty with my different writing classes. Mm. And I studied Les Mills just to the nth degree to look at the branding, to look at the, the 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 consistency of quality. Whether you did that body combat class yeah. in Chatswood or Byron Bay that week, it was the same moods, the same music. You had this familiarity that made you feel at home. Yes, and that's why I ensured that whether our courses were in Sydney or Melbourne, it was going to have that same kind of familiarity for anyone. So, yeah, body combat taught me a lot. That is brilliant. And what a great way to finish on another piece of business advice. Valerie Koo, it's been my honour to have you on today and we can't wait to continue to follow you. And um, I think uh, I've moved into my house in a month's time, my brand-new house. I might check out some of your artwork, lady. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks, Annette. Great fun. You're listening to The Herpreneur Show. I hope you received the inspirational idea, thought, or message that you're meant to hear today. If you love the show, it means a bunch to me sending me a message on Facebook or on iTunes to rate and review the show and subscribe so you're the first to know when the next show's released. 
Until then, make sure you do something that fills up your level of happiness, something that lifts your vibration so high that you are the happiest person that you know. I'm out. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.